today on Ag News Daily. And one of the big answers is, is we've created an MOU Ag Alliance where all three of us have gotten together and really collaborated on what projects can we do together to really kind of enhance this space, to move that needle, to provide that customer support. We've got a chilly morning here in Central Iowa, December 15th, Thursday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. The episode today is brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their complete line of lubricants, please visit mysticlubes.com. That is M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Tanner Whitrop joined by Delaney Howell. How's Delaney doing? I'm good, Tanner. Although you had to drive to work today in, I guess, some inclement weather, if you want to call it that. Yeah, we really don't have a lot of snow on the ground, but what has fallen has made the road slick and certainly made drivers extra cautious this morning. Well, sounds like that's going to be the case here for the next couple of days. Yeah, it does. I got plenty of weather headlines. I know our listeners are probably just sick of listening to weather news, but uh, it looks like we've still got substantial snow up here in the north while the south is continuing to see some severe weather. Unfortunately, New Orleans got uh, pounded, for lack of better terms, by damaging storms. There was homes severely damaged, roofs ripped off, and extensive damage along scenes of their downtown area outside of New Orleans, one of the suburbs that actually got hit by a tornado in March, Delaney. So this posed Louisiana governors to declare a state of emergency. Of course, that will give them extra resources to help with the cleanup. That proclamation will expire on January 12th unless it is terminated sooner. But now we look up here into the Dakotas, specifically South Dakota Delaney. Deadwood saw 36 inches of snow. Cheyenne crossing 30 inches. You go down to Norris and Spearfish, and they were both at 25 inches of snow coming out of that storm that you and I both talked about yesterday. Yeah, and that's on the heels, Tanner, of a look at the latest drought monitor as we look back at 2022 drought categories during the past 12 months obviously support the idea that 2022 was a very dry year, especially through the midsection of the United States. And as we keep talking here, that portion in particular can definitely use some snow coverage this year as they head into planting season. But according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, the past 52 weeks through December 13th saw drought degradation of up to five categories in Nebraska and Kansas, The intensifying drought also coincides with more than half of those two states, Nebraska and Kansas, judged as having extreme or exceptional drought in effect as of early December. Elsewhere in the Plains and Midwest, drought has intensified as much as three of the different categories shown on the U.S. Drought Monitor and precipitation statistics show that 2022 was simply a year without much moisture altogether, Tanner. So as we head into the winter months here, we of course know that there is a possibility we switch into an El Nino weather pattern, which would be more wetness in the forecast, and those states could certainly use it. Yeah, it's always curious to see what these weather patterns can bring for us. And I don't see how either one of them can affect these polar vortexes that we've been reporting on. So just to remind our listeners on what Delaney shared with us yesterday, that as we get closer to Christmas, we could be experiencing some extreme cold here across 
the Midwest. But focusing on Iowa for my next two headlines, Delaney, it looks like another commercial flock of about 90,000 birds in Ida County is the seventh one to be infected by the avian influenza in Northwest Iowa in the last 30 days. The Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship is reporting the state's detection rate of this virus has dramatically increased in December. Six of those seven confirmations came within the last seven days. They stated here that that's nearly 400,000 turkeys that are going to have to be culled. And they say that the virus transmission has most likely been wild and migrating birds that are asymptomatic. And Delaney, you also reported yesterday on the Iowa Farmland Survey stating that Iowa farmland values were up another 17% according to a poll coming out of <clears throat> the state of Iowa, Iowa State University Center for Agriculture and Rural Development. We had a lot of listeners reach out to me, Delaney, a couple of emails, a couple of text messages wanting us to remind our listeners that that was a survey and that's not factual data. So that is taken from a little over 2,000 industry professionals within the state of Iowa as to where they felt land sales went this year and where they're going to be projected for next year. So just a reminder that the state average actual data is closer to 10% versus the 17% reported yesterday. What Tanner also reported yesterday was what the Fed plans to do with interest rates. And not really to anyone's surprise, the Federal Reserve on Wednesday did officially increase interest rates, but this time by only half a percentage point. So we now see the new policy rate change from 4.25 to 4.5, which is the highest it's been since 2007. This is actually a little bit of a slower increase than what we've previously seen here uh, for their last interest rate raises. And it seems that they have slowed their campaign for now to raise interest rates, but they will likely be continuing to raise them in 2023. Yeah, we, it'll be up to economic factors, obviously, as they stated in their press release yesterday, as to how many more hikes and at what rate they will happen in 2023. But this is a nice change. Granted, it's only a quarter of percent difference, but it does move prime to seven and a half. So as you go in and meet with your bankers, if you're used to seeing your operating notes at prime or prime plus a half or prime plus one, that is at that seven and a half base going up from 7% yesterday. So it makes operating borrowing just a little bit more strenuous this year. Certainly want to think about where those dollars are getting spent and when as you prepare to make your input decisions. Absolutely. But, you know, we saw legislation earlier this week for, and maybe last week now that I'm thinking about it, but for Missouri to block foreign land purchases. Well, we've seen South Dakota follow suit here with Governor Kristi Noem and two state lawmakers proposed legislation to also restrict foreign purchases of agricultural land throughout the state. I think this is uh, maybe the third or fourth country, country, state that we've seen do this here, Tanner, over the last couple of months. And it's going to be interesting to see if other states follow suit. Yeah, I don't expect for it to take very long for more states to throw their hat into the ring as far as these discussions go uh, as we continue to look at the economic conditions of a lot of our foreign trading partners. But uh, here locally, 
or within our borders, we always hit on ethanol production this time of the week. So our ethanol production did fall this last week. The output fell in the last seven days ending December 9th to 1.061 million barrels per day. That's down from 1.077. So just a little drop off there. However, our inventories are continuing to go up. So we look at inventories right now of 24.409 million barrels. That is up from the 23.257. So it's nice to see those stockpiles go up, Delaney. But we skip out of looking at this on a national basis and hone in on Virginia for just a little bit. Congratulations to Heath Guttrell. He is the National Corn Yield Contest winner for 2022 coming out of Virginia at 394.0, almost 05 bushels per acre on an average. He's been entering the National Corn Grower Contest since 2015. In 2021, he had a 391 bushel average. However, he did not challenge the high that was set by David Hula. That is over 616 bushels per acre. Now, it is quite interesting, Delaney, as you look at weather patterns and what everybody was facing for challenges this year as far as moisture goes. But it does speak a lot to the quality of genetics that we see. I thought it was kind of interesting here. They summarized the contest. The contest generated over 6,300 entries from 46 different states, representing 50 different seed companies, and over 830 different hybrids were entered. So quite a wide variety of practices used to try and get that ultimately high yield. Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well. You stole that one right out of my mouth, Tanner. So let's take a quick break here to hear a message from today's sponsor. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Tanner, this isn't necessarily a piece of ag-related news, but as I was reading today's morning headlines, I thought this one was fairly interesting because I've heard this from other farmers and people, but TikTok was obviously an app created by the Chinese. And we saw Senate legislation passed on Wednesday evening, Tanner, that would ban TikTok from U.S. government devices, all U.S. government devices, regardless of your level uh, within the government. And this had a unanimous consent approval passed right through. And uh, very interesting that this is where they decided to spend some time with legislation. But they said, especially since this is a Chinese-ran device, from a security perspective, it makes sense to limit this app and other apps on their U.S. government devices for data security and uh, national security. Yeah, it was Tuesday when Governor Reynolds, Iowa Governor Reynolds, had stated that she was going to ban it from all Iowa government devices. So it's interesting to see that uh, she obviously knew this was going on in the Senate and was going to make sure that her headline came out maybe just a little bit ahead of this one. But yes, quite interesting that this is where governmental resources are being spent, both time and money, uh, on items as such. 
I only have one last headline, Delaney, for today, and that is positive news coming out of the American Farm Bureau Federation poll that stated that although the number of hospitals and healthcare facilities in rural America continue to decline, the access to services, according to this survey, have become more accessible, especially in the categories of mental health services and opioid addiction. So Morning Consult did the national poll in October and talked to more than 2,000 rural residents and found that when asked in their local community, adults said now that it is easier in 2022 versus 2017 to have access to mental health treatment by nearly six percentage points and access to primary care treatment by 11 percentage points. They or a family member wanted to seek mental health care from a professional. The adults reported in 2022 that they have confidence that they can find affordable treatment by more than 13 percentage points of an increase, convenient access, again, 13% increased, and covered by their insurance, 14%. So positive results there, Delaney, as we've had a couple of national headlines out side of the agricultural community, unfortunately, of, of deaths related to mental illness and depression. Uh, it's always important when we get into December after a busy fall, when we're usually focused around a particular job and a lot of people surrounded you, December can be a quiet, dark month for some, especially those that are looking towards the end of year tax planning. So American Farm Bureau Federation and Ag News Daily want to remind you that there are ways that you can help and there are ways that you can get help. It's kind of a all in this together. So if you notice any uncharacteristic treatment or performance out of your friends and family, make sure to reach out and make sure that everything is okay. Yeah. And Tanner, December also marks 10 months of the Ukrainian war, which is hard to believe. But December 20th, 2022 will mark officially 10 months since Russia invaded Ukraine. Really interesting article summarizing the last 10 months on agriculture.com, Successful Farming's website that I'm going to share here on our social media site. But it's just, how do we move forward? What's the path to end this thing is really kind of the question called into action here from this article, as well as just recapping, you know, all of the different challenges and turmoils we've seen, especially for the Ukrainian people here over the last 10 months, but it's hard to believe that it has been that long. Yeah, it was. I had to listen to Peter Zion talk yesterday at a chamber annual event, and uh, he was spent a good 15 to 20 minutes talking about this. And his solution is uh, that the Ukrainians have now cut off rail access for supplies for the Russians. So now they need to take care of the major highways and the fleet that transports fuel, food, and weapons to the frontline forces. So if they can cut those off and potentially starve out the Russian forces, that may be the quickest way, unfortunately not very fast, but the quickest way to get to an answer. Absolutely. But, Tanner, I have just one final piece of news here before we hop into markets, and that is ag groups waiting on a final decision for whether or not dicamba will be a tool in the farmer's toolbox. Two agricultural groups made oral arguments last week on a case in federal courts that could determine the future of dicamba. On March 15th of this year, we saw the EPA announced approval on some label amendments that would still allow the 
uh, the herbicide to be used, but would further restrict some of the use on over-the-top application in both Iowa and Minnesota. Those changes were made specifically to the Extendamax, Ingenia, and Tavium label. And we've also seen, of course, environmental groups coming forward, um, arguing against having it all together. But the American Soybean Association and Plains cotton growers filed a, a petition to review the U.S. It, with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit in St. Louis on March 24th to specifically overturn some of these amendments that we saw on the label restrictions put out by the EPA on the 15th. And we're just now seeing those debated in session, I suppose is maybe the correct word, Tanner, but, uh, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, I'm sure. We'll keep our listeners updated as we have more updates on how that is going. Yeah, so let's take one more commercial break here before we close out with markets. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Dan, are taking a look at opening markets here. We didn't have too much excitement in the overnights. Fairly quiet trade as the March corn contract will open just a half a cent higher at 651. New crop corn up two and a quarter cent in the overnight at 598 and a half. March soybeans up just a quarter of a cent at 14.85. New crop soybeans actually down two cents in the overnight. We'll open this morning at 13.91. March Chicago wheat at the bell will be at 7.53 and three quarters. Hard red March winter wheat opens this morning at 8.56 and a quarter. And as we take a look to see where livestock closed for yesterday, we saw quite a bit of red on the screen. February live cattle will open this morning at a buck fifty-five seventy. January feeders opening at a dollar eighty-three sixty, and February lean hogs will open this morning at eighty-three forty. Well, let's get over to today's interview. At this time, I would like to introduce our panelists for this session, and bear with me, I've got a few bios to to read. Nathan is Vice President of Production and Sustainability with the National Corn Growers Association. Here we have Ashley McDonald, Vice President of Sustainability for the National Pork Board. And finally, our third panelist is Jack Cornell. He served as the United Soybean Board's Director of Sustainable Supply since May 2021. So to kick things off, a question for all of you panelists. How does the climate change and sustainability discussion affect all of your farmer members? I know that's a big question, a very loaded question, <laughs> but why don't we start over here with corn growers? Yeah, so kind of big picture where we've been with, uh, with climate smart agriculture uh, and sustainability, uh, conservation, tillage. Uh, well, actually, I'm really kind of 
talking about the same thing because we've been on this journey for a really long time. Uh, when we're talking about sustainability and climate smart pieces, uh, we've been working on it for generations, really. Um, it's just how we define it, how we define it, and how we tell that story. So. When we're talking about our adventure here with sustainability and, and conservation, it's, it's about adopting those new technologies that are constantly and consistently improving the land uh, for our growers, uh, giving them the tools that, that allow them to you know, ultimately go with that, that classic line of making sure the grandkids can farm the ground as well, right? Um, that's what sustainability is. It's holding on to the farm, caring for the land, uh, and leaving it better than, than you received it. So, yeah, so the sustainability adventure in that regard does not seem novel and new. Uh, what's novel and new uh, in recent years is how many people are paying attention to this. Um, and, it, and it leads to a lot of different uh, programs where we've been looking at what we do. How can we measure these improvements? How can we uh, incent uh, a greater adoption of these practices? Um, how can we take what we've learned from the early adopters and pass that on to uh, mainstream agriculture and, and get those workflows going, uh, going in the right direction? Uh, so that continuous improvement has been part of agriculture always. Uh, defining it as sustainable, that's great. Climate smart, regenerative. Great. Fantastic, right? So in the end, we really have uh, been trying to elevate our game in telling that story. Uh, and we've been trying to tell that story for several different reasons. Um, one of the biggest ones is our customers. They're asking for this information. They're saying, hey, we want to improve our footprint, and our footprint is your footprint. So let's, let's uh, keep, keep that continuous uh, uh, improvement going with all of that. Uh, but then also the consumer. Uh, the consumer uh, attention to sustainability, cons consumer attention to conservation has been uh, quite elevated uh, in the last uh, 10 years, uh, to be honest. Um, for us, it really shifted when uh, the biofuels market came into play and people started paying attention to corn production. Uh, it, it became very readily apparent that we needed to uh, address this head on. We had a climate task force. Now we've got a corn sustainability advisory group. Uh, so we've got a, a different programs and different facets of, of things that we're working on, on in this area. But, you know, what does it all really mean? Um, telling our story is one thing, but does, do people really want to know what our story is? Yes, in part, but only if they understand what common values we hold with them. Uh, so we're really transitioning this idea of, of what climate-smart sustainability looks like and saying, okay, what are the common values that, that we share with the consumers? And we think we have a lot of those common values already established. So it's making that connection of what those common values are and saying, okay, this is how we're meeting those values. And that is a conversation that we're having with people, with our customers, with consumers out there, and not having at those consumers and customers out there. Ashley, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll kind of go off of what Nathan said. And, and of course, our, our pork producers not only are customers of, of uh, corn and bean farmers, but, but also corn and bean farmers themselves in, in the, the majority of cases. Um, and so they, you know, there's a, a lot of clear understanding between every improvement that happens in the field um, is reflected through you know, that pork chop that ultimately ends up on the plate of consumers. Um, and so I think that recognition has happened. And again, playing off of what Nathan said, you know, trust but verify, right? I think that that might sum up some of what um, consumers feel today. They they do, they want to trust, and they, and they do in large part trust our food supply. But uh, they also have a lot more questions than they have ever had before um, and that we have never really had to answer um, other than saying, you know, 
trust us. You know, you haven't gotten sick, so why, you know, so trust us. And so I think that's a, that's a new era for us in agriculture is how do we actually quantify, uh, what we are doing, um, and show proof ultimately that what we're doing is the right thing to do for the right reasons, those shared values, right? We, we all care about the same thing, but we have to provide the proof behind that so, um, so that they do understand that um, that we do have the proof behind what we're saying and ultimately can trust um, their food supply chain. And I think, you know, climate is just is is the big thing. You know, coming back from uh, from Egypt this past week from COP27, um, it, you know, an interesting an interesting conference for a variety of reasons, <laughs> um, but uh, one of which is, you know. The world is, you know, asking questions, um, and in large part, you know, agriculture is, is starting to become more and more of a question in that same space. Um, and I think it behooves all of us, um, especially all of American agriculture, to be ready for that, to be ready to say, no, we have the tools in place. We have put the practices in place. Here's the results of what we have done. You know, we are the solution that the world is seeking. Um, and so we can turn that narrative essentially, you know, on its head because right now that's not where the world is with agriculture. And I, and I think that's, to me, that's very sad um, because, you know, I'm, I'm one of the biggest fans of American agriculture, but, um, but we've got to figure out how do we, how do we turn that tide? Um, and I think we do it one together as, you know, you see all of us sitting here today and, and we'll talk about, um, the initiative where we've all come together to, to do just that, to, to provide the proof that ultimately, um, perhaps and hopefully more effectively tells the story and, and provides that trust, um, in what we do every day on the farm. Jack, anything to add from a soy checkoff perspective or even, you know, trying to, I'd also kind of am curious, do your members have a strong grasp of what sustainability looks like kind of thing? Yeah. So, you know, you heard from Nathan about how we need, you know, the, the high level view of what sustainability is and the work that we're doing. And you hear from Ashley talking about the customer demand and, and the needs there. And what's a, what's a tangible product that, you know, the, the commodities can come up with and, and one of the big answers is, is we've created an MOU Ag Alliance where all three of us have gotten together and really collaborated on what projects can we do together to really kind of enhance this space, to move that needle, to provide that customer support. And out of that MOU Ag Alliance, we've actually created a, situ- uh, a program called the Farmers for Soil Health, which was awarded uh, $95 million through the USDA's uh, Climate Commodity Smart Grant. And, and really... You know, to talk about a tangible product that, you know, farmers can understand and grasp and understand what we're doing. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're trying to, you know, help farmers in this, uh, tillage cover crop space, but it's, it's great to have an actual product, uh, that we're working towards this. And, um, to, to give some more details on that, on that project is really, we're, we're looking at the, at 20 states that are really geared towards growing about 85% of the corn and soybeans in the country and, and looking at giving cost share opportunities for farmers for cover crops. But while our goal, our ultimate goal is to get cover crops to 30 million acres by 2030, it is not only a cover crop program, but we're also providing technical assistance for farmers, uh, through state initiatives, working with the state commodity groups, because, you know, 
as a national program, we know that we cannot know how the best advise growers in North Carolina or North Dakota on on how to do cover crops or how to make sustainability work on their farm, but it's really working at the state level to help um, them facilitate the technical assistance piece. Um, and then, you know, the other big piece of, of our program is to find ways and opportunities for farmers to not only have that technical support piece, but also financially gain from from that. And we're creating a market development platform where we're kind of bringing buyers that want to buy uh, commodities re- uh, grown under certain conditions, under sustainability efforts, and and being able to give farmers a premium on that on those commodities. Well, Delaney, another great Thursday edition of Ag News Daily. I'm looking forward to a Friday episode tomorrow to see what kind of news we get and what kind of entertainment we can provide to our listeners. So, guys, thanks for sticking around for another one of these episodes. Absolutely. We've got just a few more left before the end of the year, so we're looking forward to bringing our listeners some great content. It's probably on their Christmas wish list, don't you think? Absolutely. I don't know who would wish for anything else. Me neither, Tanner, but you know what I wish for right now? That we let the people go. Let's let them go.